This morning, as it's harvest, I want to reflect for a few minutes on the wonderful world that God has given us, which we call home. And this morning, I thought I'd take a chance to find out how much we know about planet Earth. So we're going to have a bit of a quiz, multiple choice quiz. So there's 10 questions. So the first one, what is the circumference of the Earth at the equator? Is it 20,000 kilometers, 30,000 kilometers, 40,000 kilometers, or 50,000? Who says 20,000? Nobody? 30,000? Nobody? 40,000? A few? 50,000. Is that the rest of you then? And some of you are abstaining. The answer is 40,000. The good thing about multiple choice is a school we called it multiple guess. So if you don't know the answer, just, just have a go. So the second question is, what percentage of the earth is used for arable farming? So crops and stuff like that, rather than pastoral. Is it 10%, 20%, 30%, or 40%? So who thinks 10? A few people, yeah. 20? more. 30 and 40. The correct answer is 20. Okay, third one. How wide in miles is the degree of latitude? So one of those lines that you see going across a globe. Is it 29 miles, 59 miles, 69 miles, or 89 miles? So who says 29? 59? A few. 69? 89? The answer is... 69. Fourth one. Which of these cities is sinking into the sea? Is it Luanda in Angola? Is it Los Angeles in California? Shanghai in China? Or Venice in Italy? Who thinks it's A, Luanda? B, L.A., C, Shanghai, or D, Venice? Well, Venice is a popular choice there, and it is the right choice, yes. I imagine it would be quite scary if Shanghai fell into the sea, because uh, quite a lot of people would go with that. 
okay, fifth one. If you chuck the bottle, which you must not do, but if you were to chuck a bottle into the Atlantic Ocean, how long on average would it take to bob all the way across to the other side? Is it one year, five years, 10 years, or 20 years? Who says one year? A few people. Five years? A few people. 10 years? Or 20? The correct answer is one year. That surprised me. Slightly easier one, this one, I think. Or at least I knew it, so it must have been. Uh, what is the word for land that has fallen down a slope? Is it A, covent, comet, B, avalanche, C, landslide, or D, tsunami? So is it, who thinks it's a comet? Who thinks it's an avalanche? Who thinks it's a landslide? And who thinks it's a tsunami? It's actually C, it's landslide. One other one that I wasn't sure about, but which of the following is not a peninsula? Is it A, Korea? B, Japan? C, Sinai? Or D, Yucatan? Who thinks it's Korea? Who thinks it's Japan? Who thinks it's Sinai? And who thinks it's Yucatan? It is actually Japan. Japan. It's an island. Yeah, it's not attached to anything as. What word describes the bend of a river? Is it a mendicate, a maraud, a meander, or a manger? Who thinks it's a mendicate? Who thinks it's a maraud? Who thinks it's a meander? And who thinks it's a manger? You'd be surprised to know it's a way and out now. It's a meander. <laughs> what is the world's longest river? Is it the Nile, the Ganges, the Amazon, or the Mississippi? Who thinks it's the Nile? Who thinks it's the Ganges? Who thinks it's the Amazon? And who thinks it's the Mississippi? The correct answer is the Nile. It's also the only one I've cruised on. And final one, what is the name given to the imaginary line at latitude zero? 
Is it the Tropic of Capricorn, the Tropic of Cancer, the Prime Meridian, or the Equator? Who thinks it's the Tropic of Capricorn? Who thinks the Tropic of Cancer? Who thinks it's the Prime Meridian? And who thinks it's the Equator? It is the Equator. And uh, basically, I got that, all of that. From, if I'm wrong on any of that, I got it all wrong from an Encyclopedia Britannica quiz online. And uh, I'll be honest, I'm not sure I'd have done that well had I not been the one up here asking the questions. Okay, so, uh, but ours is a world with amazing diversity. It has no end of ways of surprising us. And you don't even really have to go that far to discover amazing beauty. Just a couple of weeks ago, Jules and I spent a week in the Peak District. And it wasn't quite the holiday in Austria that we'd planned, but it was a fantastic location nonetheless. We had no shortage of moments when I stopped, I stared in wonder, and just thought, wow. And I imagine most of us have moments like that. Because as I've said a couple of times this morning, the idea of celebrating harvest can feel quite distant for us in more urban settings. We're quite disconnected from the food on our tables. When I was walking around the Peak District, I didn't necessarily make a link between the lamb that was gambling around in the field and the lamb shank I had on Sunday lunch. And let's be honest, we're not singing the hymn today, but how many of us really ply the fields and scatter when we sing that on Harvest Sunday? And yet, in other ways, we're becoming more and more aware of, how our, of our relationship with this planet we call home. And in particular, how precarious that relationship is. We rely on our planet for food, for water, for shelter, and for so many other resources. But our world is also reliant on us to nurture it and to care for it. And the amazing thing is that if you were to condense all of history or Earth's history so far into one 24-hour day, it is reckoned that we wouldn't appear on the scene until about 77 seconds till midnight. And yet, in that very short time, our impact has been massive. And it's good to take time to consider, to reflect on the world around us. And Jesus actually told us to do it. In the passage we shared together this morning, Jesus told us, followers, open your eyes, look around you, look at the birds of the air, watch the flowers of the field. And he wasn't just saying, take a quick glance. The word that he used to, for, the word used for looking at the words is emblepsate. And the word for looking at flowers is katamathete. And that's probably the worst pronunciation of Greek in history. But whatever it is, they are both really strong words. They suggest, it's not just about having a quick glance at something. It's about focus on it. Look really carefully at it. Look intently at it. Observe. 
It's about looking at something with a view to thinking, what can that teach me? What can I learn from that? Because we can look at the world, we can be moved with awe and wonder, we can be inspired to praise, we can be stopped in our tracks and think, wow. But Jesus doesn't tell us to stop and look at creation just for that purpose. He calls us to look beyond what has been created and look to the Creator. So what can we learn on this Harvest Sunday? What can we learn from, about God from what He has made? The first thing is that God cares for His creation. Jesus says if we look closely at the world, we will see how God is constantly providing and caring for it. He provides for the birds of the air. He clothes the flowers of the field. We live in a world which just seems so much to be perfectly designed for life to develop, to grow, to flourish, and to develop. And I'll offer you just one really bizarre example. We can take our food for granted, but one-third of the food in the world is dependent largely on a single insect, the bee. We rely on them for pollination. And of course, as we come to understand more and more about our world, we can understand more and more about the science behind the processes of it. But as, as Christians, we ultimately believe that God is behind all of the complexity of his creation. He's providing for and he's sustaining our planet, our galaxy, our universe. God knows all the fine detail. Jesus also talked elsewhere, but said, he says, you know, sparrows, they're to a penny. And yet he says, not one of them falls to the ground without your heavenly father knowing. God cares for his creation. But Jesus didn't tell us those things because he wants us to be impressed by God's computer-like knowledge of the world. Nor did he do it to remind us of our smallness. It was to remind people that if God cares for the birds and the flowers, he cares for them. He can look after us. He says, look, look I care for the birds. I care for the flowers. Are you not much more valuable than they are? If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is being used for cooking fuel, will he not care for you? And as I was preparing this, I was, I was reminded of a very old poem, which I remember from my childhood, called Overheard in an Orchard, by a woman called Elizabeth Cheney. And it says, said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why those anxious human beings rush around and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think it, it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. Humans have a special place in God's heart. Of all creation, we are the ones who carry God's image, who are uniquely created for that kind of relationship with God. And we can separate out the spiritual side of life from all the rest. But God is actually interested in all of life. He cares about every aspect of our lives. 
When Jesus tells us to look at the birds and the flowers, he's not just asking us to admire their beauty, great as that is, but to allow them to speak to us about his care and provision for all that he has made. And to remember that that includes us. We can get anxious and think that God's forgotten about us, that we're all on our own, that we have no one looking out for us. When we feel that way, says Jesus, stop, look around. Don't just glance. Really look, watch, observe, learn from the world around you that the same God who cares for them cares for you. But there's another dimension to this because sometimes we're very much aware of our place in the world and we act like it's all there just for us to use as we please. And when we overemphasize our uniqueness before God, we might even start to mistreat the world in ways which totally dishonor God. Imagine I gave you a gift and you just didn't care about it. it you know, treated it with real disdain. It wouldn't really say much about what you thought of me, would it? And so it is with God. God loves his world. It's there in the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world. And when we look at the world, when we really watch and observe we don't just see that God cares for the world, but we can also see that creation is groaning. On a number of occasions over the years, I have shown you this drawing. It's my wonderful piece of artwork. And it shows you the kind of network of relationships that we are made to live in. The little, the little stick figure in the center is us, and there's four arrows pointing away from us and pointing upwards towards three lines, that shows that we're created for relating with God. If you go to the right, you'll see there's two figures there. That shows that we're created to live in relationship with one another. If you go to the left, and there's a little sort of par parallelogram, quadrilateral, which uh, has a stick figure in it. That's just supposed to be a mirror, and uh, that's just a really bad drawing of a mirror. And that's to remind us that we actually are supposed to have a relationship where we care about ourselves. And underneath at the bottom, we have a little ball with a few squiggles on it, and that symbolizes our world, that we are, we are made for a relationship with our created world. And... All of those relationships can be broken and Jesus comes to repair all of those relationships. I've talked about that numerous times with you. But perhaps that last one, the one with uh, the, the, the created world, is the one we are less guilty of focusing on in church. But they're all part of the Bible story. Paul, an early follower of Jesus, talked about creation groaning in frustration, waiting in eager longing for sons of God to be revealed. It was like creation knows that there ought to be someone out there caring for the world as God would care for it. 
And it waits with eager longing for someone to come along and do just that. And we don't have to look too hard to find evidence of frustration and groaning in our world. Eight million pieces of plastic pollution find their way into our oceans every single day. 88% of the sea's surface is polluted by plastic waste. 99% of the Earth's population breathes air which contains higher levels of pollutants than the World Health Organization would deem safe. Seven million people die each year in our world from air pollution. And the rate of deforestation in our world is the equivalent of 36 football pitches every single minute. And the list goes on. And it's all driven by our constant desire for more and more at less and less cost. And it's driven by the very anxiety that Jesus warned about, that somehow what we have will never be enough. God knows what we need. He cares for us. And he promises to provide for us. And at harvest we're reminded that God has done this for us. And we're also reminded of our place in the world. Yes, we're called to rule creation, but to do it in a way that God would rule it, caring for the world, nurturing the world, sustaining it, developing it, not just using it for our own ends without regard to cost to the planet. And as Christians, we should be at the forefront of caring for creation, for we see it as a gift given to us by God. But so easily we can lose sight on that. This week, it was announced that William Shatner, better known as Captain Kirk in Star Trek, would actually be going into space at the age of 90. He will be boldly, not be boldly going where no one has gone before, but he'll be the oldest man to travel there. It'll be a 10-minute voyage to the very edge of space. I'm turning into a grumpy old man, I think. I just find it sad that we live in a world where a handful of billionaires are locked in a race to get us to other planets. And if only those resources were being put to sorting out the problems down here. But before we get too finger pointing, perhaps we need to recognise that one of the reasons we as Christians haven't always been at the front of creation care is that often we too have had our sights on another destination. We see our destiny as heaven and when God's plan for us is much more earthy than that, in a renewed earth. And that is the third thing that we need to try to remember, is that God is in the process of renewing our earth. I don't know why that went. Go on. God is renewing his creation. It's not only a world that God loves, a world which grows, it's a world God plans to redeem. And Jesus calls us to seek God's kingdom, his rule and his reign. 
But all too often we've thought of that in terms of churchy spiritual things. But when the Bible speaks of God's rule, it's not just over our hearts and lives, important though that is, it includes every aspect of God's creation. And that can be seen in the passage we read from Joel, which looks forward to God putting everything right that's wrong in his world. And that putting right wasn't just about humans, and it certainly wasn't about disembodied spirits floating up to clouds with hearts. It includes the lamb and all that's in it. Joel spoke to the animals, the trees, the plants, the soil, and he said, don't be afraid, you wild animals, for the pastures in the wilderness are becoming green. The trees are bearing their fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their riches. It's a picture of God's vision for his world, flourishing, fulfilling its potential, every aspect restored and cared for. It's a vision echoed towards the end of the New Testament, which says, Then the angel showed me the river of a water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. These are the pictures that God has in mind when he calls us to look at God's world and seek his kingdom. God's priorities are for his whole world, the world he loves, the world which grows to become a world restored and for the effects of destructive choices to be removed and for every part of his creation to be valued and cared for. And harvest is an ideal time to reflect on that as we remember how we rely on the earth to provide for us. May we also remember that we are called to bear God's image, to care for his world as he would want it cared for, to love it as he loves it, to groan with it as as it awaits its restoration and play our part in seeking its flourishing, preparing to share with that creation in God's destiny. Grace, and peace be with you.